Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, our hope is in you. Because of that reality, Father, we have hope that is real, vibrant, and living. And God, because you love us, would you send the Spirit of Jesus into this room and and may we just be so in awe with your presence that God, as, as your word is preached, that our eyes would be on Jesus and our hope would be in you. God, that you would love us enough to, to show us your way. I mean, Nehemiah lived a long time ago, but we, we, need some, we need some stuff that can help us right now to live in a manner worthy of the gospel and to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. And, and quite frankly, sometimes to put one foot in front of the other. God, because you love us, would you show us the way? God, would you guide us in truth, your truth? You are true. You are the true God who has revealed truth to us. And the only way we understand what is true about you and our lives and how to live them is if you give us and open up our eyes and let us see you and your beauty, your word and its truth, and cause us to walk in your way all of our days, especially this day, especially at this time. God, come and show and guide and lead for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, Stephanie, wow. I've heard missionary minutes before. That was unbelievable. And uh, merci beaucoup, mon ami. Tu es très magnificent. And uh, may we go with you and pray with you. But thank you. And thanks for, thanks for taking what God has given you. It is enough because he's enough. And uh, go, our sister in Christ, with the name and joy of Christ. You know, it's great to see uh, someone stand up for Jesus, a leader we could look up to. Uh, but how many times in our life, there's just too many times that, that our leaders that we look to, uh, um, they just mess up. I mean, too many times our leaders are finding themselves on the headlines or in the tabloids for all the wrong reasons. Is it not true? I mean, the latest Congressman Wiener was the last life to explode, uh, his career to implode with, with raunchy behavior and one more on the pile of just uh, disappointed leaders, disappointments, role models we can't necessarily look up to. But hey, let's don't forget, uh, before we cast stones, we're all broken sinners. Um, you know, when I read scripture and I read about King David, who, by the way, had a heart for God, amazing man of God, and I could see what David can do. Uh, when I see that David, a, a guy who loved God with all of his heart, still could be an adulterer, a, a murderer, uh, and an amazing uh, failure in many ways, uh, I think as Christians, we got to be careful not to cast stones. We got to look at our own hearts. But we also cry out, say, God, can we have some leaders that we can look up to? I mean, men and women that we could really respect, that, that lead in a way with integrity, and, and that we could kind of point our kids to and say, there's a model to follow. And I, I know there's some, but they seem to to be so few and far between. Isn't that true? Um, well, God gives us many in his word. And again, what I love about God, what I love about his word is it's so real. It's so earthy. It's so gritty. I mean, God tells us about his people. He, he doesn't hide the fact that they're broken sinners. He doesn't hide the fact that they're a lot like you and me and the congressman that just life imploded. You know, they're broken. But when we get our eyes fixed on Jesus and we're, we're living according to his word, and we're filled with his spirit, we, we, we can look up and say, God, there, 
is a leader we could follow. Nehemiah is certainly one of those guys, an amazing leader of God who, who led God's people, a role model for all of us. A few years ago, the TV show 24 was one of my favorites. And uh, 24, uh, you know, Jack Bauer. How did I love Jack Bauer? That, that dude saved the world every week, uh, single-handedly. I mean, he's a combination of Superman, Rocky Balboa, Chuck Norris, all wrapped into one. But, you know, no matter how riveting the show was the week before, uh, things went on in life. And because things went on in life, you always want to kind of sit down and say, okay, now, what happened last week? Uh, kind of where are we in the story? Uh, for many of you, maybe you're visiting Orangewood, maybe you don't know, we're, we're in the midst of studying through Nehemiah. But I want to take just a minute and say, you know, uh, this is what happened in the last episode, if you will, or the last episodes to kind of get us caught up, because we're about halfway through. So let's take a couple minutes and just do just that. Well, Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a pretty amazing job. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Uh, it was probably more for our way of thinking. He was a cabinet member uh, to the most powerful person in the world. At that time, it was the king of Persia. So Nehemiah, being, uh, being a Jew, and, and, and when Babylon sacked uh, Jerusalem and there was a big exile in 586, uh, his family lineage, lineage was taken away. But Nehemiah had risen to the top. This guy had some amazing leadership skills, and, and even pagans recognized it. So now Nehemiah was, had a very, very important job, uh, one of the closest to the most powerful men in the world. And he got word that Jerusalem was in shambles. He got word that, that God's city, holy city, uh, was just an absolute wreck. Now, this shouldn't really be new to him. I mean, the city was destroyed some 100, almost 150 years before he got word. But there have been a lot of false starts to try to rebuild. And the biggest problem was, is Jerusalem was exposed. Jerusalem didn't have a city wall. Now, Orlando doesn't need to have a city wall to not be exposed. We don't need that. But in that day and age, really to have uh, some safety and security, uh, you needed a wall. Not only that, your city was a disgrace if you didn't have it. I mean, it's not really a city. It might, it might, might be like a township without an actual city wall. So Nehemiah, God just touched him. I mean, God just really, it literally says God put his hand on him. God put his hand on Nehemiah and says, I'm going to raise you up to go. And you're going to go and you're going to rally God's people. And God's people are going to do what they keep on failing to do. They're going to build. And a matter of fact, let me just kind of jump forward and say, they're going to be successful in just 50, like six days. It's amazing. So Nehemiah comes on this scene and he's, he's dealing with people that feel defeated. You know, you know, a time in life when you feel defeated, it's hard to get energized. If you've done that, been there, done that, and it didn't work over and over again, it's hard to get energized. And, and, and a little side note here for pastors, it's really hard to be a pastor sometimes launching new initiatives because you think, you know, a lot of people feel like, hey, been there, done that, mm, it's going to work. Uh, so Nehemiah, that's kind of the mindset that people had. They, they felt like they were losers. They probably got to the point where they felt like we deserve this. We're not very good. But Nehemiah, by God's hand on him, and Nehemiah clearly looks to God, very pragmatic, but always looks to God. He knows where his source of power comes from. He knows who's going to give him uh, victory. It's God. And so Nehemiah, with God's help, he rallies the troops. He rallies the people, not, not just some of them. It's not the 80-20 rule for Nehemiah. Amazingly, what happens is everybody gets a little spirit in them that says, we've got to work. Matter of fact, it says in Nehemiah 4-6 that they work with all their heart and all their mind. They're passionate about it. Have you been there? Has God gotten a hold of your heart sometimes? Are you just passionate? 
passionate about a relationship or passionate about a task. Well, God not only got a hold of an individual, he got collectively. They were working hard. And they were working hard in tough conditions because they were continually ridiculed. Nehemiah tells us of, of, of Sanballat, and he tells us of, of, of others who, uh, Tobia, uh, who were continually bad-mouthing all the work that went on. Well, in last week's episode, the bad-mouthing, the ridiculing, the mocking got to be physical threats. They basically said, hey, we're going to kill you. We're going to come when you don't know, when you're not seeing, you're not hearing, we're going to come, we're going to kill you. And it scared God's people. Can you imagine if right now we were here worshiping and, and word got out that people wanted to come take us out? I mean, yeah, of course the world's going to ridicule us and say, are you guys kidding me? On a Sunday like this, you're going to go gather and worship him? And we can handle ridicule. You're going to really believe in a risen Savior? We hear ridicule, but rarely do we ever have threats like that. Well, the threat was so real and so constant that people said, enough. And, and what ne- Nehemiah did is this. He, he stopped the work and he rallied the troops. He said, listen, we're going to have to work in a whole different way now. We're going to have to work and be ready to fight. We're going to have to work and be ready at any minute. Turn from our work and fight for our lives. I love how he rallies the folks. He says, fight for your families. Fight. Get ready. And then he says, by the way, get back to work. A good leader. Stops them, rallies them, gets them back on the work force. And then this passage we have right now says this. So from that day on. So then a good way to get the episodes. From that day on. What day? From the day he rallied the troops. From the day he dealt with that, and he said, let's get back to work. Now listen, I know that Nehemiah lived a long time ago, and I know his conditions weren't exactly ours. But I got to tell you, we are about ready to go through some amazingly practical ways on how we ought to live in our lives and work, our our jobs, uh, and love our church. It's going to be very practical. Follow along in the outline. Let me encourage you. You can fill in. uh, You can tell us, you know, what do we need? What's the proper work division? How do we divide the work? Maybe in your families and in our church, uh, the proper work posture. You know, what's our posture supposed to be? Our conditions. What's a good work day? Ethic. What's our good work ethic? And what about proper work clothes? It's so practical. So may God open our eyes to see what he has for us. Let's go back and see verse 16 and 17a as we begin. Nehemiah says this, from that day on, I remember the rally cry, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. Now, coats of mail, you know, it doesn't mean he's carrying mail. It means, again, it's like armor. Okay? So we have, like, them dressed for war. Half are doing the work, half are doing, uh, uh, ready to defend and, and support. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. So we can see work division. And really the work, as we see, is broken into three categories. We have those on offense, those on defense, and those in leaders. I mean, those on offense. I mean, they were called to build. Build immediately what's in front of you. So he takes all of God's people and says, okay, we got a task in front of us. Some of you have to be offensive-minded, and we need to have you building the wall. Some of you need to be defensive-minded. We need to have you protecting us, okay? So I'm going to divide you. Think offense and defense. And also, you're going to have, in any good project, leaders. And leaders who are going to stand behind the workers and support them. By the way, we're going to see very clearly the leaders worked. 
So these aren't uh, the leaders who sit back and have the good jobs, uh, who kind of just call out. Uh, they were working as well. They were bearing burdens as well. But we see, and, and if you're a leader here or a leader in your job, we see biblically what a good leader should do. Three things. A good leader should support his staff, his or her staff. They're, they're there. They're behind him. They got their backs. I mean, I love the way that God's word says the leaders stood. You almost can picture them just supporting all the work. I mean, they were kind of lifting up those who were doing the work of ministry. As we get to the New Testament in Ephesians 4, this is the, the biblical model that God raises up pastors and elders and deacons. Why? To equip you, the congregation, to do the work of ministry. That's what a leader is supposed to do. Stand behind and in support. They're to do more, though. They're to warn. They're the ones who warn. Uh, you're going to see that Nehemiah has a guy who carries a trumpet. Uh, it's actually a ram's horn around. So he can warn them, hey, danger, look out. And really, leaders in a church are those who are supposed to warn you through equipping center and our community groups uh, that we're starting in the fall to, to warn you about this is God's word and be careful. Uh, be careful what the enemy uh, is trying to do to take you down. And lastly, what their leaders do is they remind us. And in Nehemiah continually says, don't forget. God foils our enemy's plans, but he says something even more powerful. Don't forget, God fights for us. Isn't that great news? Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're just so wounded and broken and weary. All you need to hear is this. God fights for his people. And in Christ Jesus, we know what? He wins. He triumphs. That we have life and joy. We have a defeated enemy. Because why? God has fought. God is fighting. And God will fight for his people. What are leaders supposed to do? Pastors supposed to do? We're supposed to remind you that. Hey, we're here supporting you. Uh, we are here warning you. But we're here reminding you. Don't forget our great God. What about in your life? I mean, those three things need to be true in your life as well. If you're a Christian, if God has, has worked his amazing grace in your life and called you to himself, your life should have the posture of those who are working in Nehemiah. There should be an offensive mindset. Let's, let's unpack that just a second. God says if we're his children, we're his ambassadors. We're his sales force, if you will. That God wants to change the world. Go figure, he does it this way. Through us. That God has a message of reconciliation that he, he gave to his son Jesus, who was the ultimate reconciler. And he reconciled all things in this world through Jesus. It was successful. And now he says, I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to make you my sales force. I'm going to make you offensively minded. I'm going to make you my ambassadors to tell his good story. So the reality is, is we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. But we also not only have to be on offense, and that means that we're, we're going into the workplace, we're going into our neighbors with the, the story of Jesus and trying to live our lives in a way that is winsome and the world can see it. But we also need to be on defense because we realize that through the story of God's rescuing his people, that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Unbelievably, God looks at us right now and he says, that's my body, that's my bride, that's my temple. And you individually, Scripture says, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Keep it pure. So there's got to be a part of the Christian life that's on defense. That he says, watch out because there's an enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion. And he loves the taste of Christians. And he would love to wreck your marriage and mess up your kids. And he would love to, to have you compromise in your job. And he'd love for you to make the headlines and the tabloids for all the wrong reasons. 
So as a Christian, you got to think offense, but you got to think defense. Also protect that, that uh, temple. Uh, and in your life, each one of us, you need to have leaders who support you, who warn you, and who remind you. Do you have them? And you know, I got them in my life. I'm so grateful for those who speak truth into my life. But what is a church as well? Because typically a church will be good at one or the other. They'll say, hey, you know what? We're all about offense. We're just going to train our people over and over again. We're going to knock on every door in Maitland and greater Orlando. That's a great thing. But if that's all you're about, if you're only about offense, you can't forget defense. But when I think of offense, here's what I see. I see that the church is called to be a city on a hill. There's supposed to be a difference with us. We're supposed to be peculiar, the scripture says. We're supposed to be a bit odd. We're supposed to smell. We're supposed to have the aroma of Christ. There should be something that's unique about us. As a matter of fact, God kind of calls us his colony of heaven on earth. Why? We're the people who have submitted to Christ as king, right? And we're the people who want to live under his rule and reign. So if that's the reality, when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're the ones who are supposed to show what it looks like. We're going to be that city on a hill. I like to phrase this. We, like to, we should be winsomely offensive. Sometimes churches just like to be offensive. You're wrong. You're sinners. You're going to hell. I mean, it's amazing how many times that we, our message has been one of hate, uh, one of wrath, one of judgment. God's message always begins with mercy. If it began with hate, judgment, and wrath, we would all be toast, okay? The only reason any of us are here is that God leaves with mercy and love by God's grace. So should the church. We can stand up for truth, but man, we need to be winsomely offensive. Not only that, we need to be defensive. We need to keep the bride of Christ pure. We got to make sure that that we're honoring him. He calls us his bride. We got to make sure that we're holding one another accountable and speaking truth into each other's lives. We need leaders who can support us, warn us, and remind us. Proper work division. How is it with your life? Do you understand the offensive nature of your calling? Do you understand that he called you an ambassador? Do you understand that he's seeing you as a temple? And he wants you to have a defensive posture as well. He needs leaders in your life. That's the work division. Let's talk about work posture in 17b and 18. Uh, second part of 17b. It's so cool. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored and worked with one hand. Those are the, I mean, my goodness, and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders that had his, uh, uh, each of the builders who couldn't carry with one hand, who had to use both their hands, had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sighted, sounded the trumpet was beside me. How many of you have ever had back pain? Is there anything worse than back pain? I mean, just recently, uh, someone said that they had a bad back. And if it's you, I can't remember who exactly it was. But I do love you and I pray for you occasionally. But, uh, and someone, someone said, you know what? My back went out and I've never had it go out before. And I tell you, if you had your back go out, there's, there's about nothing as painful as the back going out. Well, if your back goes out, forget it. So you got to have a good posture. And you know, you know in working, well, you got to have a good posture. And you, ever, you ever heard the phrase, lift with your legs? You know, what are you doing? You're going to lift with your legs. Why? Because you want to make sure you have good posture because you don't want to throw your back out. And I've said in our family, so often lift with your legs that we kind of have a joke. We said, now, here's what you want to do, guys. Remember this. Lift with all your back. Take your legs completely out of it. And we all kind of laugh saying, ha ha, you know. Uh, but the reality is, is we need good posture. 
Uh, we need good posture as we work to keep us from becoming uh, wounded. And here's the posture that, that Nehemiah gives us. He realizes that everyone had to work and fight at the same time. They had to realize that they were in a battle. Uh, some were carrying, literally carrying a sword. But everybody, everybody there either had a sword in their hand, a sword on their side. Everybody there had a reminder that we live our lives... Uh, that we need to be ready to fight for the gospel. Each one of us need to be ready to give an account of the hope that lives in us. We all need to realize that that's where God has called us to. We're not going to carry a sword tomorrow. Scripture said this is our sword. It's the Bible. We're to hide God's word in our heart. That's how we strap it on. We're to guard our hearts. How are we going to use this? We're, we're, We're supposed to be ready to give an account of the hope that lives in us, to everyone we see. That's, that, that's carrying our hope. That's carrying our Christianity. That's the posture we have to be in. Always, wherever we go, we always have to carry the reality of whose we are in Christ everywhere. An elder told a story this week uh, in one of our session meetings. He said, just kind of casually, he said, uh, you know, I had somebody come over and he's doing some work at their house and I've known this person in years past and he's kind of worked with the family before. And he says, I just happened to look out the window and the guy's on a ladder and he's just weeping. He's just standing on the ladder and just as he's working, just tears just running down his face. He said, I just happened to notice and, and went out and said, you know, hey, What's up? I can't help but notice of the tears. And he said, well, I got to tell you, my, my mom's in bad health and I can't get to her. And, and, and I got a brother who's, who's not doing well. And, and I'm just hurting. And, and, and the elder was like, can, can I pray for you? And, and he went and he gave him a, a book, uh, The Case for Faith, that explained his hope in Jesus Christ. He said, that guy's called me four or five times since. Can I talk to you? You see, there's a posture. There's a posture that we, we got to have as Christians, that we have eyes who can see what God sees, that we can see those who are weeping around us, that we have hearts that, that break after what God's heart breaks. That's the posture we need to have, that we have hands that are willing to, to go and work for all that God has for us. And by the way, you know what the right posture is for our feet? I love what, uh, the, uh, what the scripture says. We got we to gotta make sure that our feet have the gospel on them. But also scripture says this about our feet. When it comes to sexual temptation, flee. Put on those PF flyers and get out of Dodge. So what's the right work posture for us? We, went, we aren't going to carry a sword. We're going to carry this one in our hearts. But we always got to be ready and have the right posture before God in this world that we are there to fight for the gospel, stand up for our families, to fight for truth in a, po- in a way that um, lets others know of God's glory. Then proper work conditions in verses 19 and 20. Let's look again at 19 and 20. And I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, I love that, knowing God off, this isn't the 80-20 rule. He says it to everybody, the top down, uh, those who have royal blood, those who are officials, the rest of them. The work is great. And widely spread, and we separate, separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. What amazing work conditions. There's a couple of really practical things that we can see out of this as well for us to work productively. First of, this, first of all, it's this, all are working. Are all working here for God's glory in the church. There, were, there was no one who was exempt. 
Second thing is, is the work is great. Do you know that God has chosen the church to be the primary vision, the vehicle to bring his message to a broken world? Is there greater work than that church? Do you know that God is calling us to bring light into darkness? Do you know that he's calling us to bring beauty into void? Do you know that he's calling us to bring order into chaos? Do you know that he knows we're in a sin-torn world? He brought his son to rescue us and now he wants us to heal them? That's great work. It's great work that God has called us to. And in many senses, we're supposed to be spread out. This is what they said. Listen, we're not building a tower. We're building a wall. And each one of you is uniquely gifted. And you're going to leave here and you're going to spread out by God's design. You're going to spread out. Some of you are going to be homemakers tomorrow and today. And some of you are going to go to different jobs. And that's God's way of building his kingdom. It's to spread us out with different gifts all for his glory. It's by his design. But he gathers us. He gathers us to worship. It's a rally cry. When you hear the trumpet, when you know it's Sunday, when you know it's time to come back together. Why? So we could remember that God loves us and fights for us. I want us to picture this. If we were just to divide out of here and never come back, we'll, we'll splinter. We'll, 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 we'll wither. If you could picture us here as a puzzle. We are all a puzzle. We all have a picture. And each one of you is uniquely a puzzle piece with a unique design. And God wants you to go and scatter from here with his word. But he wants us to gather once a week. He says, don't forsake this. Come back together. Because what happens when we come together as a church, we kind of rebuild together. And all these pieces of the puzzle come back together. Guess what? We get to start seeing the picture that God has for us. And together we can see whose we are. And he wants us to come together in a way that he sees how God sees us. We're his bride. He loves us. He wants us to gather and so we can see into each other's lives. You know what? You fit and I fit. And you're a part and I'm a part. And we're, we see him in each other and it's beautiful. I did a wedding yesterday on the beach uh, way away. It was Treasure Island, a sunset wedding. Uh, but man, oh man, I mean, just doing a wedding and seeing again a bride is so beautiful. And just see, that's how God sees us. The wedding party decided, I guess this is now in vogue. You know what they did after the wedding? They went in the water. They said, oh, it's time to trash the wedding dress. Excuse me? And so they they went in the water. And and I'm thinking, these people are nuts. I'm leaving. No, it wasn't that bad. But God wants us to not trash the wedding dress. He wants us to see how beautiful it is and the way we come together and see we fit. That's the proper work conditions. We're all doing the work for God. It's great work. We're spread out, but we rally together. Proper work day. You know what it is? They worked from sun up to sundown until the stars came up. And they all did their work for Jesus. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I uh, went out for the basketball team. And, and I made the seventh grade basketball team. You can hold your applause. And, and I, I, I made third string. I mean, I was a third string center on our junior high team. As a matter of fact, I was so bad that my uniform did not match everybody else's, you know? And I'm telling you right now, in seventh grade, you don't feel good about that. You don't feel good about a lot of things in seventh grade, but when your uniform does not match everybody else's, it's just a constant reminder, you don't quite fit. And in seventh grade, the third string center, they had a thing called the fifth quarter. And when the horn went in the fourth quarter and all the good kids, cool kids played their game, they brought out those other kids who hadn't played with uniforms that don't quite match everybody else's, you know? And it was the fifth quarter. 
And the fifth quarter was so embarrassing. I mean, really, the parents of the kids who played, I mean, they, they left. They're, they're socializing. And, and the referee, no one's yelling at the referee. Why do I know one's yelling at the referee? Because he left, too. I mean, the game's over. And so now you're out there. And matter of fact, I came up with a song. It was to the Beatles, Here Come the Sun. Here Comes the Sun. I, I would sing, Here Comes the Scrubs. Here Come the Scrubs. And, you know, I would sing, Here Come the Scrubs. Do, 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 do. Here Come the Scrubs. Well, it's all right. We're only in there for seven minutes. And then we get out. And the bottom line is no one cared because it didn't matter. And it really didn't matter. And no matter what we did, by the way, did the real seventh grade game matter? <laughs> That's another story. Um, you know, oftentimes as Christians, we play as if it's the fifth quarter and it doesn't really matter. You know, the amazing thing about Orangewood is we will sing with amazing passion, Days of Elijah. We will say, this is our day to live for God. We will sing it with great passion. But do we realize that this is the day of the Lord for us? That God has us here to advance his kingdom now. This is our time. This is not the fifth quarter. This matters in redemptive history. This is our day to work. And we're to work from the sun up to sundown for the glory of God. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're doing, you and I are called this day to live and serve for Jesus. It's our day. And the enemy wants to say, you're doing nothing but the fifth quarter. You're doing nothing but wearing a weird uniform and it doesn't really matter. It matters. It matters the way you love your spouse. It matters the way you raise your children. It matters the way you live your lives. It matters the way you love your neighbor. It matters the way you do your job. It matters. It matters for God who's called you to be his and his ambassador and tell his story through you and through me and through us. Amazing. Work ethic. Uh, this, this is, this is uh, where I get work ethic in verse 22 is this, is that, uh, uh, you know, they, he, Nehemiah said, listen, don't leave the city. Stay here. Stay within the walls. You know, I know that I would be a terrible Boy Scout leader. If they ever ask me, I'll say no. I don't, I mean, there are so many wonderful, uh, so many wonderful qualities about Boy Scout. And I'm saluting our leaders who are not even looking at me. But uh, uh, the reality is I know I stink as a leader. Why? Because I don't mind the campouts. I would go. It would be fine. I don't mind cooking my dinner over an open fire. I don't mind the things you got to do in the woods. But listen, when it came to going to sleep in a tent, lying on the ground, in a sleeping bag, forget it. All right? I'm out of there. I'm looking for the closest Motel 6 or Marriott or anywhere in between to get a good night's sleep. I mean, who in the world wants to be on a camp out, right? Well, here's what's happening with God's people. They're working like crazy. And they really wanted to go out and get a good night's sleep. Many of them didn't live inside the city. And God says, are you all in or are you not? Are you going to stay here or are you going to leave? And it's amazing how easy it is in a church to see it's all about my comfort. It's all about the fact that I need my space. I need my rest. I will come in when I can come in, and I'm going to go when I can go. And Nehemiah is saying, no, 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 no. Well, we got a task here. We're, we're advancing Christ's kingdom. Are you all in or not? You spending the night? I mean, are you, are you, are you really going to go leave just because it's a little bit more comfortable for you? Stay here and fight. I heard something pretty disturbing. I don't mean to be just hammering on moms here, but... You know, I heard that, you know, with VBS tomorrow, do you know that tomorrow is the week that we set aside to tell our kids continually about Jesus? Do you know that this is a high water mark of our children's ministry? And do you know that we're going to tell the community kids about Jesus? And yet many of you have felt like this is your week. This is your week for vacation. I'm trapping my kids off. I need a break. I need to get out. And listen, moms, you need a break. You need a break. 
You got a really tough job and you need weeks off and, and you need time where it's to yourself. I agree, but don't pick VBS. This is a time we tell our kids about Jesus. This is a time to put your armor on and come, right? And then we could co-op with others. And I'm not trying to use the guilt thing here, but I really do think that Orangewood has a problem staying within the city gates. I have a problem that we want to just slide in, have some great worship, have a little message, some fellowship, and go. And God's calling us to more. He really is. He says the work ethic is loyalty. Be loyal. Stay. If this isn't your church home, find one that you're going to be passionate about, that you're going to serve Jesus there, gather there, be used there. I sure hope it's here. Work ethic. Um, lastly is proper work clothes. And, and uh, let me just say this is that uh, uh, it says that they didn't take off their clothes at night. Um, basically, they realized that they always had to be in a posture to be ready. Um, it, it was kind of a, it's really hard to translate the Hebrew there. It just talks about it basically says they didn't put their sword in water. Are they, are they washing? They're not quite sure exactly what it means. But here's the gist of it. They were always dressed, ready for battle, and ready for work. And in Christ Jesus, as Christians, we always have, always have to be dressed to work and dressed for battle. As Christians, this means that we put on Christ, that we put on what Christ has done for us. We wash ourselves in the amazing blood of Christ from our sins. We robe ourselves in God's gracious gift of his son's righteousness. We put on Christ. We stand in Christ. We know that we're broken. We know that we're sinful. We know that we're messed up. But we put on Christ so that we can stand before a holy God, forgiven and loved and set free. We stand in Christ Jesus and we never, ever, ever take that off. And scripture says that we are to be uh, robed in his armor, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, and let me challenge you. Or look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, and it'll tell you how we should be dressed for battle. Do you know what the, the enemy would love to tell you? It just doesn't matter. It's fifth quarter. It doesn't matter what you wear in the fifth quarter. It doesn't matter that you really have to uh, be dressed to fight. Football season is coming, and I know when you work out at football, uh, you start off with conditioning and gym shorts, you go to the helmet, and pretty soon those, those ridiculously hot days, you put on pads. And I know that every day a football player will say, I hope the coach shows up and says, hey, no pads today. We're just going to go light. No pads. And you think, oh, thank goodness. You know the reality with Christianity, there's never a day that God says, take off the armor. Take off Christ. Be ready to fight. But we got to remind ourselves over and over again, God fights for us. Jesus' offensive victory on the cross was good enough for all of us. God has given us the armor of the Holy Spirit in his word. God's word is sufficient to fight off all the attacks around us. Let me ask you this. Are you dressed for the battle? Are you dressed for life? Take this outline home. Just to say, God, you know, where, 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 where do I need to change? What needs to happen in my life so I could be a better warrior witness for you? Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this amazing challenge that Nehemiah gives to us. And God, I know every one of us falls short, especially the preacher. That's why we love so much Jesus. We love the fact that all this good stuff is to give us life and to lead us to Jesus. But the reality is, is, We have a warrior who's fought for us. 
And we know that he was victorious. And we know you love us. But God, you want to change the world through us. And so we ask that you would remind us of what is the proper work division? Are we doing it? What's the proper posture? Do we have the right posture? Do we have the right conditions? And do we have the right ethic? Do we understand that this is our day. And are we clothed for battle? And God, may your Holy Spirit reveal to us where we individually and as a church need to shore up so that we could tell your story. God, this is not the fifth quarter. This is our day and our time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.